We're in a series right now that we're calling Encounter, uh, and, and, it, and it's, a, it's a series on um, like rhythms or practices or things that Christians should be doing. So if, if you're a follower of Jesus or you're a Christian, these are things um, that, that, we can, that we should be doing. And a lot of times, if you've ever been introduced to these like spiritual disciplines, you approach it like a list. Like, okay, if I'm a Christian, then there's, these, there's this list of things that I'm supposed to be accomplishing or things that I'm supposed to be doing. But the way that Jesus presents them to us is he really, he presents them to us as a means of relationship with him and, and also as a means of, of transformation in places of our lives where we want to see a spiritual breakthrough or spiritual transformation. Meaning like there are places we really want God to change us in our lives and we, there's, there's a way that we really want to know God. Not just know about God, uh, not just kind of have like a mental assent to him, but like we really want to know him. And because what we believe is that God is continually speaking to us and speaking into our lives and he's constantly reaffirming us that no, you are my, you are my beloved. That's the initial call of God to his kids and we believe that God's continuing to speak that over us and to us. And so when we talk about encounter Encountering God through these different practices in this series, we're talking about hearing the voice of God that says, you're mine, I'm for you, I love you, I'm with you, through these different practices. We're, t- we're talking about a spiritual formation process where we're increasingly following the way of Jesus, and we're experiencing ongoing transformation and developing practices for us to live on mission with what he's given us to do. So what, so we are calling this encounter because we really want to pursue these things that God's given us as a means of encountering him or being with him, going deep in our relationship with him. And last week we talked about prayer, uh, and this week we've, we've got another topic that we're going to try to uh, tackle. Let me, let me just pray for us real quick, and then uh, we'll get into what God has for us tonight. God, we thank you for uh, just the, the opportunity to gather together, and God, I thank you for um, just all the young adults in the room tonight, and God, I know that everybody's in a different place, and, and there are some people in the room, they'd say that they know you, follow you, love you. There's others who are they're just kind of exploring what that even means. Uh, and, and God, there might be some who are just, they're antagonistic towards the whole thing. Uh, and, but God, I thank you that you've brought us all together tonight for, for whatever reason you know. And so I'm, I'm just asking you, um, God, by the power of your spirit to, to work in, in this room tonight. Um, God, I don't believe any of this is on accident. Um, and God, I know that you've got a, a purpose that's perfect um, for us being here and from, for hearing from you tonight. So, Father, would you speak to us? God, would you speak to us, and, and would you just make it super clear that what you have for us tonight? And, um, yeah, Jesus, I love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, we, we've talked about this a, a few times in here before, but as I kind of look at your generation and look a lot of, like, kind of at your stage of life, there is, seems to be a lot of stress um, and a lot of busyness and a lot of anxiety, um, that it feels like it's kind of built into our, our lives. Like, I feel like there's a lot of things that kind of pour into that, that make us that way. And, and one of the reasons that I wanted to do this encounter series is because I, I also kind of have stress and anxiety and busyness in my life. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, they feel unavoidable. They feel that way. I don't believe they are, but they feel that way. And so I really wanted to kind of drill down like, well, okay, as a Christian, we're supposed to, there's a different way for us to live life. So how do, how do we respond to that? 
Because you can't just manage stress, meaning you, you, you can't just directly head on say, okay, I'm stressed out, I'm stressed out, I'm just, I'm not going to be stressed. But what you can have is you can build into your life a life of, of, of peace. Um, Jesus himself, he, he steps into these environments. If you look throughout the Gospels and you look in the New Testament and you follow the life of Jesus, he steps into these environments and these atmospheres where people are just freaking out. But yet he doesn't just manage what's going on. His, his presence, his like non-anxious presence, he's so full of peace, he's so full of the kingdom of God that his presence pushes into the world around him and people just seem to kind of settle um, in the presence of Jesus because the power of peace of his kingdom is more powerful than all the stress that surrounds him. And, and the reason I, I talk about that is because the New Testament tells us that's possible for us, that's available to us. We can be filled with this life of peace. There's this guy named Paul. He wrote a majority of the New Testament, New Testament the Apostle Paul, and he writes uh, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, you have to train yourself in godliness, meaning like there are ways of being um, that Jesus shows us. And, and he's like, Timothy, it doesn't just like show up. You don't just get like zapped with it. So if you look at the way of Jesus and you're like, yes, he seems to be able to kind of enter in, Inter- interact and operate in all these different ways, um, I, man, I wish he would just kind of like download that into me. Like, have you ever, anybody ever seen The Matrix? Yeah, it's like a really old movie. But like, they would stick that thing in the back of their head and then they would all of a sudden, oh, I could fly, I know kung fu or whatever, I can fly a helicopter, right? Um, gosh, I was so tempted to do a, uh, what's the guy's name accent right there, but I, I spared you, I didn't do it. What, uh, Keanu Reeves, yeah, yeah, no, I know, Neil. <laughs> you can't just shout out random things man. <laughs> it's my job <laughs> but he's saying look you have to actually train you have to train yourself to be godly you can't just want it real bad and not do anything about it right you ever, you ever tried to just not worry by trying really hard not to worry you're like okay I'm really anxious I'm really worried about something you know what I'm gonna I'm just gonna not worry I'm not gonna worry I'm not gonna worry and then you get so worried that you're worrying when you're trying to not worry. It makes you worry even more. Or if, you, if you're, like, angry, you're like, okay, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be angry. And then it just makes you, like, more and more and more angry until something else kind of makes you stop. You have to train to become a different kind of person. You can't just decide that you're not going to do something with your body that you, that, you, that you can't do. Like, if you came up to me and you're like, hey, Paul, great news. I signed us up for a marathon. We're going to run it tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you would do that to me. No, you know, like you probably couldn't tell by looking at me, but I'd die. I would die if, you, if I had to run a marathon. I don't know if I could run to the parking lot, honestly, but my body would, it'd break. It would break in a lot of places and in a lot of ways. Why? Because it would, for me to be able to actually run a marathon would take an act of God, but it would also take daily decisions over a long period of time. And in the same way, you can't just jump into a new way of living. You've been saved by grace. If you're a Christian, you've been saved by grace, which means that you didn't do anything to enter into new life with God. There's nothing that you did to earn that. Um, there's nothing that you did to accomplish that. You're saved, um, you're saved by, by grace. But to become a different kind of person, which is what Paul is talking to Timothy about, it requires training. And these spiritual disciplines, they shape us from the inside out. And, and you can't live the life Jesus did if you don't do the things that he did, because he himself 
being fully God and fully human, trained himself in a way that creates a model for us to live fully human life with God. There's an author, his name is John Ortberg, he says this, that spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but of training wisely. Meaning, like, these are things you have to be really intentional about doing. You have to prioritize them. And when, wh- whatever you prioritize, you build capacity for that thing in your life. So whatever you put first, whatever you put first place in your life, your, your hope is in that, and that tends to grow in your life, right? So if you have a relationship that's very important to you, if you don't prioritize that relationship, that relationship's not going to grow. If, let, let's say, um, like, school's very, some of you are students in the room, school's very important to you. If you don't prioritize school, you're not going to do very well in school. If, if, if your job's very important to you, you don't prioritize your job, you're not, I mean, that's just, you don't have to be a Christian or a Bible person, that's just like a fact of life. So if your relationship with Jesus is not very important to you, meaning you don't prioritize it, it shows that your hope is really not attached to Jesus, your hope's not really attached to that relationship. And your capacity, your capacity, meaning your growth in that, won't, won't expand. But Jesus says of himself, he's like, look, if you put my kingdom first and my righteousness, meaning my rightness or my right way of living, if you put my kingdom first, your capacity expands. When we're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about, okay, God, what is the way that you would want life to work? Like the way that you will for it to work. Last week we looked at the Lord's Prayer, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Like, okay, if things were ordered the way that you would order them, if things worked out the way that you would have them to work out, if your will worked out, that's the kingdom of God, what would that look like? And all this, again, we're trying to learn to hear the voice of God. And it's absolutely foundational to everything that we do. It's God's voice that calls us into life. It's God's voice that transforms our living. And it's the voice of God that tells us how to share that life with with others. Meaning that once you've made the choice to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus, the question is, what disciplines will help me to remain faithful to that choice? You get this in any other relationship, right? Right? So when you, when you define the relationship, I don't know if people still use that term, but when you, when you, when you do that and you decide, okay, like, yes, this is the person I'm going to date, this is the person I'm going to date towards engagement, towards marriage, right? You can't just say, hey, we're going to be boyfriend and girlfriend now, or hey, we're going to be engaged now, and not do certain things in that relationship that lead it to the place where you want it to go. There are practices. There are things that you do. And even when you're married, a lot of people just tend to quit once they get there, like, okay, finish line. No, no, no. If you, if you want that relationship to grow and to be the relationship that you want it to be, that it needs to be, that it should be, um, there are things that you have to do. And it's the same thing. If we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we need to have a disciplined life. Now, we don't like that word because discipline means control. Right, So like if I want to be disciplined by something, it means I'm controlled by something, and we hate that idea, right? So like most of the time, like if you, if you think about it in terms of diet, we don't really like diet because it means that now there's a plan that's controlling how I live my life or how I, how I eat. So I don't like being controlled. Uh, um, if, if I want discipline over my children, I want a certain level of control over over them. But in the spiritual life, the word discipline, it means, and this would be something to write down if you're taking notes. When, when we're talking about discipline, we're talking about the effort, so there is effort, to create space in which God can act. To create space in which 
you can see God show up and move and work in your life. But it takes effort. Discipline means to prevent everything else in your life from being filled up. It means that somewhere you're not occupied or preoccupied. In, your, in the spiritual life, discipline means to create that space in which something can happen that you hadn't planned or counted on. Meaning there's something that God's going to do and show up in that space that you've created, that you've worked for. Where God's going to do something that only he can do. You didn't manufacture it. You didn't like cram it into your life. But you created space where God could work. And we see that all through the life of Jesus. Um, we're going to look at three different places in the Gospels. Mark chapter 1 is the very first place. If you don't have a Bible, we, we have the text up on the screen for you. Uh, there's a Bible that's on the table. If you don't own a Bible at all, you can, you can take that Bible with you. That's a, that's a gift to you. But Mark chapter 1, again, we're going to look at the... We're going to look at the person of Jesus just real quick here tonight, and we're going to see how he had this discipline of creating space to listen to the Father um, and to have the Father show up and act uh, in his life. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Mark uh, writes about this in, in, in chapter 1, and it says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And Simon and his companions, so these are the followers of Jesus, they went to look for him. And when they found him, they explained, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also, because that's what I've come. So all these people are crowding around Jesus because he's starting to heal the sick. So he's got this reputation. He's, he's healing people. He's doing these miracles. He's doing these amazing things. So everybody starts kind of coming around and, and clamoring for Jesus. And they're just like colliding into this village. And Mark says that he, Jesus, in the, before any of the chaos starts, gets up early. So you know that it takes priority in his life goes away to a, to a solitary place and prays. And, is come, and, and when he comes back, all the disciples are like, hey, where have you been? Everybody's looking for you. And Jesus says, you know, let's go somewhere else because I've been called to other villages and not just this one. There is the pressure of people on his life, but he's heard from his father first. So he can reorganize his life around that. So here's a question for you. Like, when you start your day, what fills you first? Food, that's good. There's a, um, there's a lot of studies, uh, you know, people who kind of like study the way that people act um, around their phones in particular and around screens. And it's something like 70 to 80% of people, the very, very first thing that they do when they wake up is they check their phone either it's social media or email or the news feed or something. But it's the very first thing to where it's, it's like a habit, like a program. Like you're programmed to do that. Like you hit the alarm or you hit snooze. Uh, where you hit the alarm, turn that off, and then, and then it's either email, social media, uh, news feed, something like that. What fills you first when you start your day? What, what, how different would you be every day if you heard the yes of God in your life every morning first, before you did anything else? That was the very, that was the very first thing that you heard, was, was God's love over you the very first. Because Jesus has this practice of solitude where that was the very first thing that 
he did. And it shows up over and over again. In Luke chapter 5, so if you want to flip over to Luke chapter 5, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 5. Um, there's another place that Jesus, he manages his busyness with, with solitude. And we see that in Luke chapter 5, verse 15. The, the news about him, about Jesus, spread all the more so that crowds of people came to him, uh, came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So again, thousands of people. Everywhere you go, thousands of people are there who want to be healed. Now, I know we kind of read that, and, we, and it almost is like we're reading like a make-believe story, like it really didn't happen. But this really happened. Real people, real Jesus. Everywhere he goes, thousands of real people with real issues who want to be healed. Now, again, use your imagination as we kind of look at this. What kind of pressure would be on your life? I don't know if you ever think about that, Jesus. What kind of pressure would you have when you showed up on planet Earth and you can heal people everywhere you go? And everywhere you go, there's thousands of people. Heal me. Heal my daughter. Heal my child. Right? You, you can. You should. Right? You would feel that if you had the ability to heal everywhere you, you went. You, you would feel like, yeah, I can do this and I, and I should be doing this. And, and you'd never stop with the busyness. You know, Jesus knows that like, his ministry on earth is only about three years. And, and you'd think, man, I have to really make the most of every single day. I can never stop preaching. I can never stop healing. I can never stop with the miracles. I can never stop with the teaching. I can never stop. I can never stop. I can never stop. But you see, the more the intensity rises in Jesus' life, the more he gets away. If you look right before Jesus' death, where, where, did they, where did they find him when the soldiers and the guards come to get him, when Judas goes and betrays him? Where is he at? He withdraws in the garden to pray. He brings his buddies with him. He's like, guys, we need to pray. And they all fall asleep, right? But at the most intense moment, the most intense moment, and he withdraw. He withdrew to the lonely places and he prayed. So the crazier you think life is, the more you need time alone. And, and I know that it's so, kind of feels so anti just what our natural response would be. Like, you know, you got the pressure of school or the pressure of work or the pressure of relationships or the pressure of just life. And you just feel like, oh my gosh, I just have to do more and do more and do more. I have to grind. I have to grind. I have to grind. And we, what we see with Jesus is like the more intense things got, the more he withdrew to pray. And, 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 if you, and if you don't do that, then the pressure and anxiety of life will define you and not Jesus and his kingdom. Last, last thing we're going to look at in, in, in Luke chapter 6, so just the next chapter over. Jesus, he, he not only manages busyness with solitude and withdrawing, he also manages important decisions in solitude. In Luke chapter 6, l- listen to this. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night, the entire night, praying to God. And when morning came, he, calls his, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. These are, the, these are the closest followers of Jesus. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. 
And those troubled by impure spirits were cured. And, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Now, he gets alone. Scripture tells us. He prays the whole night before he makes a big decision. Anybody here ever make a bad decision? Who wants to come up and share it? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but you've made a bad decision with money. You, like, you spent way too much money on something. You're like, oh, my gosh, why did I do that? You know? Or, 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 you, or you made a bad decision in a relationship. Like, why in the world did I ever date that guy? Why in the world was I ever with them for so long? Or you made a bad decision with a job. You're like, why did I take this job? This was like the worst job ever. I should have never had this job. Now, how many of those, if you would have been quiet and listened to God and, and asked him about what he had to say about it, do you think that you could have, could have been avoided because you would have had clarity? What about when we have to make big decisions? And a lot of you, I know you're kind of either right smack in the middle of that right now in the place where you are in life, or you're at least like headed that way, where you've got some what feel like pretty big decisions, and they probably are pretty big decisions kind of coming up. Now, now what if you decided, I'm going to do what Jesus did when he had a big decision. I'm going to retreat. I'm going to get alone. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to listen. I'm going to spend some time in solitude. I'm going to learn how to be quiet and be still and be alone. Dallas Willard, who's an author, he talks about solitude like this. He says, solitude means refraining from interacting with other people in order to be alone with God and to be found by him. It's choosing to step away from human relationships for a period of time to make room for God to occupy our lives. And, and it means, it means that I'm going to say, okay, I'm not just going to see if I could just shove God in on the edges of my life when I'm in need or I'm freaking out, which is usually what we do, Right? Like we just go headlong into a relationship or an opportunity or anything. And then it doesn't work out. We're like, oh, God, please save me. Help, help. And we're freaking out. And, and, all, the margin is, and all the margin is absolutely sucked up by our anxiety, by our worry, by just our frantic busyness. And there's just a little tiny space. And we're asking God, we're like, Can, if you could just cram into that spot. Rather than saying, no, I'm going to leave a ton of room for God to be clear and for God to operate in my life before I move into this really important decision. So solitude, solitude is, is being, solitude is one frog all by himself. Soli <laughs> solitude, <laughs> solitude is being with God and God alone. And, and you have to ask yourself, do I have any space for that? Like, do, I, do I have any space where I do that? It's so important to be alone with God like that because it's the place in which you can listen to the voice of the one who calls you beloved. When you pray in solitude, it's the place where you can listen to the one who says, you are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved child. And, and when you pray in solitude, it's you let that voice speak to the center of your being, to your guts, to you let that voice of God resound in your whole being. And that's the, that's the voice that Jesus hears when, when he comes out of the Jordan River. There's the voice literally from heaven, you're my beloved, on, on you my favor rests. And, and Jesus says to you and to me that we are loved as he is loved, which means that same voice is there for you. And when you're not claiming that voice, you can't walk freely in the world. 
You, you see, Jesus listened to that voice all the time, and he was able to walk through life. There's, there's moments where people are applauding him, and there are people who are shouting out, Hosanna, and there's other people who are rejecting him, and they're shouting out, crucify him. But in the midst of that, Jesus knew one thing. He knew it with all of his being, that he was beloved, that he was God's favorite, and he clung to that voice. And there are so many voices speaking loudly in your life. Why don't you prove that you're lovable? Why don't you prove that you're worth something? Why don't you prove that you're relevant? Why don't you prove that you have a contribution to make? Why why, why don't you prove, make a name for yourself? Why don't you get some power? Then people will love you. Why don't you get some success? Then people will appreciate you. Once you get some money, then people will like you. Once you look a certain way, then more people will like you. If you do something to earn it, then you'll hear the voice. Yeah, you're beloved. And then, once you hear it, you better work to maintain it. And those voices are so strong in in the world. Those were the same voices that Jesus heard right after he heard that voice from heaven. There was another voice that said, prove prove that you're beloved. Do do something. Change these stones into bread. Be, Be sure you're famous. Jump from the temple and see what happens. Grab some power. Have real influence. And Jesus said, I don't have anything to prove. I'm already beloved. And if you keep that in mind, you can deal with an enormous amount of success as well as an enormous amount of failure without losing your identity because your identity is that you are beloved. Long before your father, your mother, your brothers, your sister, or any person affirmed you or wounded you, long before you were rejected by some person or praised by somebody else, the voice has always been there. The the scripture says, I've loved you with an everlasting love, meaning that the love is there before you were born and the love will be there after you die. And that's where life with Jesus starts because your freedom in Christ is anchored in claiming your belovedness. And that's what allows you to go into this world and to love people and to speak with them and make them aware that they are beloved, that they're chosen, they're blessed. When you discover your belovedness by God, when you see the belovedness in other people and you can call that forth, and it's this amazing just mystery of God's love that the more you know how deeply you are loved, the more you will see how deeply your sisters and brothers in the human family are loved. Now, this is not easy because Jesus spent the whole night in prayer. And, 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 and that's a picture of the fact that prayer is not always something that you feel. It, it, it's not a voice you always hear with, with human ears. It's not always an insight that comes to you in your little mind, but you have to pray. And you have to listen to the voice that calls you beloved because otherwise you will run around with your life begging for affirmation, begging for praise, begging for success. And when you live like that, you're not free. You're a slave. The, the, The key question in your life that you're trying to get answered somewhere else is, is, are you proud of me? Do you love me? Am I accepted? That is the question that each and every one of us, because it is hardwired to our hearts, if, if tonight's your first night or one of the first nights, you walk in this room, and the most difficult part for you entering a room like this, especially if you're here by yourself and you don't know anybody, is what are they going to think of me? How are they going to treat me? Will I be accepted? Maybe you don't walk in the room saying that, you know, out loud. Um, <laughs> um, but you think it at some level. You think it. And here's the thing. That's a totally normal, okay I think, God-given question to ask. 
Because he's the only one who can answer it with a resounding yes. And if you don't hear it from him, and if you don't um, intentionally pursue hearing it from him, you'll try to find it someplace else. You'll try to find it and have it answered by your work or something that you do or something that you accomplish. You'll, you'll try to find it in a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or a spouse, right? You'll try to find it in money. You'll try to find it in pleasure. You'll, you'll try to find it, um, you know, with your kids if you have kids someday, right? You, you, you'll try to find the answer. You'll try to hear the answer to that question in all these other places and through all these other things and not from the voice of God. And only God is designed to answer that question. If we, if we could sit for just a half hour a day, which I know this, this feels like impossible, but if you could carve out a half hour in your day and, and, and you were doing nothing, but you just took a simple word from the scriptures and you, and you put it in front. So like, let's say you take this concept. Everybody's kind of heard this, even if you're not like a Bible person. You've kind of heard, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You've heard it somewhere. You've heard it in a movie, right? You've been to like a funeral. You've been to some kind of something where they've said this, right? The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, if you just carved a half hour out of your day and all you did was just meditate and focus and zero in on that phrase and that idea. God, you're a shepherd. You're my shepherd. It's a personal shepherd, which means you're looking out for me. You're looking after me. You're taking care of me. You know everything about me. You're pursuing me. And then I shall not want, which that's the part that makes us real nervous because of like, well, okay, I do want, I do have a lot of things. That's why I'm so anxious because there's all these, these things that I want. But, but here's the deal. If you let that truth descend from your mind into your heart, gradually those words are written on the walls of your heart. And that becomes the space in which we can receive the people that we, that we meet during the day. That's the space that allows for love to grow for, for others. The, the trouble is, and this is, I was telling Corey today, I was like, gosh, this message is so hard for me because these are, this is something I do not do well at all. Um, I like have like crazy ADD in my prayer life. And so, well, just in life. But this is really, really difficult for me because as soon as you sit and become quiet, you think, oh man, I've got this to do. I've got to call this person. I've got to get this project done. I need to pay this thing. I need to talk to them. I need to, you know, you just have a million things that you need to do. It's not easy to sit and to trust and in solitude, God's going to speak you, speak to you. Um, but when you, when you do, you will learn something gradually over years. And in that word from God, you'll find the inner place in which you live your life. Solitude is where the spiritual life begins. That's where Jesus listened to God. And that's where we listen to God. For you.